Well, Merry Christmas. I'm sure everybody in here has uh, a bunch of different traditions that they, they, they do or experience and practice on Christmas Day. Uh, one of the things we like to do in our home is, is we like to read the Christmas narrative from Luke 2 uh, before we, we jump into opening up gifts. So it's a good reminder for us as, as a family of the true gift of God's Son given to us. And um, our kids just love taking turns kind of reading through that passage together. If you're anything like our family as well, uh, you've had an early morning. Um, now, now, we're kind of the, the mean parents that like give our kids a specific uh, time that they can come out of their rooms on Christmas morning because uh, left unchecked, I think I heard my son uh, this morning say he was up at one in the morning uh, and couldn't go back to sleep. And so knowing them, they'd be in our room saying it's technically Christmas uh, and, and so we need to open up. So we, we give them time so that you can come out of the room at this time or if we call you out. Um, but we We've already dug into some gifts as a family this morning. We've celebrated. We've laughed a lot this morning already as a, as a family looking forward to the day as it unfolds. Um, uh, I, I've made no bones about it. I love Christmas. Uh, I love the Christmas season. Uh, and when our kids were, uh, and the years ago now, starting to get kind of a little bit older, and when they're starting to get into that age where they really start to appreciate uh, the Christmas holiday, when they begin to get to that age where they start to anticipate, right, like that the Christmas is coming uh, more and more, I just began to, with them, uh, kind of have this almost renewed love and appreciation and excitement for Christmas, because kids just kind of bring kind of a fresh view or a fresh experience of the season. As, as the older we get, we kind, of, we kind of get out of that a little bit. And so kids kind of just bring us back into the wonder of the season. So for, for example, this was a few years ago now on Christmas morning, my, my son who was reading the text for us this morning uh, was opening up some gifts that we had put in his stocking. Well, he, he always loves, he's always loved to draw and to, and to write, and so uh, we put like some pens like in his stocking, right? There's nothing magnificent about these pens whatsoever, right? It was, it was Walmart special probably, right? But, but he opened up these, these pens, and we have this on video, but man, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm videoing Stella, and all of a sudden I just hear this like screaming on the other side of the room, and he is just jumping up and down, running all over the room, shouting at the top of his lungs, I got pens, I got pens! Right, like just so excited, so happy. I don't think I've ever in my life gotten excited over a pen before, but in, in that moment, I was, I was excited as well. Like, yeah, you did get a pen, right? Like, I was, I was like brought in, drawn into that, that excitement, that wonder that he was experiencing in that moment. Right, kids just kind of bring that fresh childlike wonder to the season, to Christmas Day, and it's, it's kind of intoxicating, right? Like, it, we get drawn into it with them. And, that, and that's a good thing. And, and with that, my, my hope and prayer for us this morning is that we'd come to this, this passage in Matthew, this, this more condensed Christmas story with childlike awe and wonder. Looking at what may be for probably a lot of us in this room here today, or a lot of us are watching online, maybe a, a familiar passage, but my, my prayer has been that we would come to this passage with a newfound, spirit-filled curiosity, joy, and wonder. Like what to many of us may have become over the years ordinary, we want to see through awakened hearts and minds that the coming in of, of Jesus into this world was extraordinary, right? And, and what's so extraordinary about it was we heard in the text that was read, like God is with us. That God is with us. Like, like, ponder that, that phrase. Ponder that reality for a moment. Let it, let it seep into your, your bones. Like, God has come to dwell with us. 
Like Jesus has come to fix what is broken in us. He's come to make things right. Like how beautiful is that? Like God has come to heal and to save us from our sins, to redeem and reconcile us back with our creator. Like this is the wonder of Christmas. God with us. Our Savior, our Redeemer, our eternal hope and joy and peace all wrapped up in the one wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So this morning, let's approach this this Christmas story with with childlike wonder and awe. In fact, it was Jesus himself who in Mark chapter 10 said that we're to receive the kingdom of God like a child with faith and with hope and with trust like a, like a child. So three wonders I want us to look at this morning. Three wonders to behold from Matthew's gospel that reveal the beauty and the, the glory and the magnificence of Christ who has come, the word made flesh. We're going to look at a supernatural conception. We're going to look at a supernatural mission And then we're going to look lastly at a supernatural presence. And so let's dig in. How did Jesus' entrance into this world unfold? Like when when you're looking at the text here this this morning, you you start to kind of see that his entrance into this world was a a bit scandalous. So so wonder, number one, that we want to behold this morning is, is a supernatural conception. Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, again, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they they came together, before Mary and Joseph had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, who was being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, don't let the supernatural occurrence of of Jesus' birth look past you or get past you. We'll get to that in just a a moment because there's a, a wonder to behold there, but there's a perceived scandal that's, that's unfolding here in this moment. There's two things that are apparent from, from an initial reading of this, of this text, these couple of verses. Number one, Mary is pregnant. And the second thing is Joseph is not the father. And so it's clear from the, the reading that Mary and Joseph, had, they, they hadn't come together yet as husband and wife in a, in a marital union, but they were betrothed to one another, which meant that in this cultural, culture, betrothal, which lasted probably about one year, was, was the closest step to, to marriage that they could have actually entered into. And, and to actually um, to, 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 to break that betrothal, mean, meaning they would have had to go through a legal divorce. And so, so Mary and Joseph were not living together. They weren't living as husband and wife, but they were betrothed to one another. And so you see in verse 19 that when Mary became pregnant, Joseph sees that as like, you've, you've been unfaithful. And so he sets out to divorce her in verse 19. But Mary and Joseph, as, as they're entering into this, this moment here, they're both in this very difficult spot. Like Mary was this, this young, unmarried woman finding herself pregnant for the first time in a culture that highly valued the law of God. Unwed pregnancy was a, was a serious offense, is a serious offense against God's good order for human relationships, for human flourishing. That, that pregnancy takes place within the context of, of, of marriage. And, and so Joseph, though, on the other hand, he's, he's battling the emotions and the pain of thinking that the, the woman that he had chosen to love and to spend his life with had rejected him, was unfaithful to him. And so what, what's Joseph to do? Well, he, he sets out to do what he believes is the, the right thing according to the, to the law, the full counsel of God's law. But, but I love how Joseph approaches this. The way Joseph approaches this gives us an insight into the, the, the essence and the character of who God is and what the law is actually meant to accomplish. So you don't, don't miss even how Joseph entered into this, this scandal, this issue here. 
See, the text says that Joseph, when he found out that, that Mary, his betrothed, was, was pregnant, says he set out to divorce her quietly. Well, why? Because he didn't want to put her to shame. He didn't want her drugged before the people, drugged before the courts. He didn't, want her, he didn't want her name besmirched. He wanted to just move on and divorce her quietly so that she would not be shamed. See, Joseph knew what God's law said about unfaithfulness in marriage, and yet he also knew and understood the character and nature of God. God is merciful. God is gracious and good and full of love. See, God is both just and full of mercy. In fact, later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is going to confront religious leaders with this very truth, this very reality about who God is, his character. See, the religious leaders that Jesus runs into all all the time throughout the gospels uh, were all about strict adherence to God's law, but, but the religious leaders so often, in fact, mostly all the time, neglected God's, God's character of him being merciful and gracious and loving. See, the religious leaders love to drag people down the street, drag people before the courts and, and point out their, 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 their areas where they've fallen short of God's law and, and shame them before everyone else. But, but Jesus sees this in them. In, in, in Matthew 23, verse 23, he confronts them with this idea, this reality that, that you're not understanding the full nature of who God is. In fact, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe, mint and dill and cumin, meaning he's saying you follow the law to the T when it comes to giving, absolutely. But he says you've neglected the weightier matters of law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. He looks at them and says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying obey the law, but don't forget the character and nature of God is one of grace and mercy and love. And so Joseph here exhibits the essence of God's law, of God's character, Yes, God is just, but he is also merciful. I want to do what's right according to law. She's been unfaithful, so I need to abide by the law, but I I want to be merciful and gracious and compassionate to her because that's the God I serve. Thankfully, though, as the text unfolds, God intervenes here because Joseph was missing a a pretty key detail. The child that was in Mary's womb, the, the scripture says, was from the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20. So as Joseph is considering these things, it says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This here is really the first wonder to behold, right? The supernatural conception that Jesus was made a human being, scripture says, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now you might be asking like, how? I don't know. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us how that took place, but it says it did. Now, now why is this necessary? You might wonder, like, why is the virgin birth so necessary? Why, before we baptize people, do we say, do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life? We, we, we pulled out that key detail. You might be wondering, like, why is this so necessary that Jesus comes through this miraculous, supernatural virgin birth? Well, it's because humanity needed, they needed another representative to do what we cannot do, to live how we cannot live. If you think back with me to Genesis 1 and 2, you have God creating in the garden, he creates Adam and Eve, so Adam in the, in the garden represented humanity. He represented humanity, and he failed. He sinned. Adam rejected God. Adam Adam committed treason against a holy God. And because of his rejection, because of his sin, 
We all now, all human beings are born uh, with this sinful nature. That, that we're born, like, like now Adam, who represented us as one who now rejects God. We're born with this default nature to reject his law, to reject his glory, right? Romans 3 says there's none who does good, none that seek after God. And so what humanity needed was another representative. We need someone else to come and be born in the likeness of man, just as we are. It's humanity, likeness of humanity. So you see Mary is carrying Jesus in her, in her womb. She gave birth to Jesus. And so you see the, the humanity of Jesus as Mary is his mother. Yet we needed one that came, one that represented humanity without the same sinful nature that we all hold. We needed someone born with a divine, sinless nature. Hence why you have the mixing of the conception of the Holy Spirit. It's why Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Fully human, fully God. The virgin birth of Christ is a wonder to behold for it's the reason that we can look to Christ for salvation and why he is able and sufficient to save us because he represents humanity as one who is fully human but, but he also is one who can stand before a holy God as the perfect sacrifice for sin because he is sinless and because he is fully divine as well. It's a wonder to behold the virgin birth of Christ. The second wonder to behold this morning is the supernatural mission that Jesus set out on. See, what's the angel continue to tell Joseph in this dream about the child that, that Mary is carrying? Look at, look at verse 21. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus, Uesus, means savior, means savior. The year and name him this because his name, his title, what, what his name means is going to be what he does. He's the same one who's going to save his people from their sins. He's the same God who creates in Genesis 1 is the same God who is now recreating and redeeming in Matthew 1. Our God now has, through Christ, through his son, through God the son, who's become flesh, has now provided a way through the virgin birth of Jesus, a way for humanity to be redeemed, to be rescued, to be reconciled, to be saved from their sins and brought back into right relationship with their God. Our God is taking all that's broken in the world and he's restoring it how it was meant to be. He is bringing beauty from ashes. He's going to turn pain into joy, death to life, suffering into gladness, darkness to light. God the Son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, takes the sin which has stained us down to the depths of our soul, and he's making us through faith and repentance in him and him alone, he's making us clean and whole. In fact, Ephesians would say before God, because of Christ, we're blameless and holy. That we're able to, because of Jesus' righteousness and faith in Christ alone, we're able to stand before a holy God and be accepted as sons and daughters. Only Christ can do this. Nothing else in all of creation has the power to fix you. Nothing in, in all of creation has the power to restore you, to make you right, to make you holy, to make you blameless before a holy God. It's only the sinless life of Christ. It's only his suffering and death on a cross. Only his blood that was spilled for you, for me. And only his resurrection from the grave that can make you and I right again with our God. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. Do you believe this? If you're looking to anyone or anything other than Christ, other than Jesus to save you, you are doomed 
and you are under the condemnation of a holy God. The, the Christmas invitation to you this morning is to turn from your sin, to confess that, yes, I am broken. Yes, I am sinful. Yes, I am rebellious. Yes, there is nothing I can do to, to fix myself and to repent and turn, to turn your eyes, your gaze, your heart, your mind, your affections to the one who can make you right, to turn in faith to Christ alone, the one who can save us, our Emmanuel, God with us, our hope, our Savior. What a wonder to behold this Christmas morning, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, come to save his people from their sins. Lastly, wonder number three to behold is a supernatural presence. Finish out this story with me in verse 22. It says, all of this took place, right? All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when Joseph woke from his sleep, he, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, Isaiah the prophet, he wrote to a people who were enduring great and horrific suffering. And as he writes to these, these people, God's people, Israel, he, he called on them to say, through your suffering, through your pain, God has not abandoned you. Look ahead, look forward. God is going to deliver He's saying and calling them out to say, God has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. In fact, his Messiah, the one prophesied, the one talked about from, from Genesis 3, his Messiah is going to come and is going to deliver God's people. And so he prophesied, Isaiah did, hundreds of years before Jesus even stepped foot onto this earth that the coming Messiah would, would occur and appear and come to earth in this miraculous way through a virgin birth. That this Messiah would be the, the perfect embodiment of God's desire to dwell with his people, to dwell with them, to be with them. And so, and so Isaiah, as he's writing, is saying a, a name's going to be bestowed, going to be bestowed on this Messiah, the name Emmanuel, because it's going to fit him. It's God with us. See, God's desire is to dwell with his people. It has been from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. Now, sin, we know, fractured that relationship. But, but what we see throughout the, the entirety of the Old Testament are ways in which God is continually providing these opportunities for his people to, to dwell with him, to be in his presence. Whether through the, the tabernacle that was, that was built or the, the temple and that inner room, the Holy of Holies, a place where God dwells and he's able to, to commune to some degree with his people. And yet all of these things that God provided throughout the Old Testament were, were but shadows of the true reality. They, they were not the real thing. It, it was going to be through Christ. The tabernacle, the temple, represented the true tabernacle, the true temple which would come in Christ. The true and right way to dwell with God is through Jesus. And, and Isaiah is saying, it's coming. It's coming. Look to that. He has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. We're looking to deliver where Jesus is going to come. The Messiah will come and God will dwell with his people. See, Jesus was, was not a shadow of God's presence. He was God himself, born in flesh, likeness of humanity, Emmanuel, God with us. Ponder this reality. Ponder these realities. Marvel at them. Like marvel at them. 
Like our God is present with us through the person of Jesus Christ. This God who is glorious beyond all measure, more than words can define, and yet at the same time, so gracious and loving that he desires to be with us. And he's provided a way for us to be with him. Right? The God who rules the universe, who knows every star by name, who directs world rulers and kingdoms, cares for you and knows you. Right? These are the wonders to behold this, this Christmas day. An infinite God loves you infinitely. So much so that, as we heard Brian read from John 3.16, that he sent his son into the world to rescue you from your sins. Like this is the mission of God. This is the, the love of God. This is the good news of Christ's birth and life. In fact, there's no better way to celebrate this reality than to gather as the church on Christmas morning to worship him because of what he's accomplished. That Jesus was born to die and to be raised again, to triumph over both life and death. What a wonder to behold this Christmas morning. Let me pray. God, we come to you this morning asking for, for the Spirit to do this work. All, all I can do is, 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 is push and, and, and edify and, and encourage, but your, your Spirit has to do the work in our hearts and our minds. And so, God, my, my prayer for all of us this week has been, as we read through this, that there would just be this fresh awe that would come upon us from, from truth, that, that you have come to dwell with us, to be with us, to remain with us, to provide a way for us to be in your presence forever and ever. Fathers, we've, we've spent this last month, this Advent season, even looking to the coming of Christ in this first Advent. At the same time, we've been talking about that it also reminds us that you are returning again, that, that you have not forgotten us, that you've not left us, but you are returning. And so God, on this Christmas morning, as we celebrate the first advent, the first arrival of Christ, may it also be a time that we're reminded through your spirit that you are coming again to take us to yourself where we will live with you forever and ever in, in eternity filled with, with, with joy and happiness, uh, an eternity um, devoid of pain and suffering and death, life as it was meant to be as we think that you are making all things new. So God, these are wonders to behold this Christmas morning. God, would we treasure them, hold tight to them, and encourage one another in them daily until you return. For your glory, for your name, amen.